Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, I thank you and I praise you for the ways that you are continually faithful to us in the day-to-day activities of our lives. And Lord, we do acknowledge that we fall short, we settle for less, and that we, um, we don't learn, Lord, as we ought. I ask, I ask today, Lord, for wisdom, that we would gain from our experience things to inform how we go forward. Lord, grant us wisdom. And I ask, Lord, that you would also help us to recognize the fragility, the, uh, the, the partiality of how it is we follow you, that we do fall short, that we do settle for less, but we count on your mercy. And so, Lord, uh, give us that grace today to look to you for your mercy. And we do call upon the angels and saints, especially our Mother Mary and her Immaculate Heart, Mother Mary, pray for us. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Got lots of stories to share, little anecdotes, just drawn from um, even my last, just my last few days, that are all teasing out different elements of being a disciple, right? A disciple means a follower of Jesus. And yes, we're all called to be followers of Jesus Christ. And if you're listening to this program on Sacred Heart Radio, this Catholic radio network, the great majority of you are identifying yourselves as Roman Catholic Christian disciples of Jesus Christ. And so following him, it's, it's a personal thing. It's, it's not just belonging to a religion or, oh, it's, it's our family custom to be part of this particular church. And so that's what we've always done. Now, in the end, it must go deeper, deeper within to the heart, to a heart that has a love, that has a trust in and looks with confidence to the person of Jesus Christ. And do we do that? Do we actually look to Jesus Christ? Do we believe that Jesus Christ is the living Lord of heaven and earth? You look around outside, you're driving along right now, and you've got circumstances in your day. And is our belief in God, our belief in Jesus, and our acceptance of him, to say words disciples mean that we accept him as Lord, let's just call him the boss. <laughs> not just the not just the boss, the, not just the one in charge, but the protector, the one who provides a covering over our lives. He's going to protect us and our Savior. He's Lord and Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. He's our Lord. He is our Savior. And our Savior means that we know that there is something to be saved from, often from ourselves. When we choose less than God's very best when we betray that relationship with God, when we deny him like Peter, when we betray him like Judas, when we feel sad and and walk away like the rich young man who had many possessions and could not respond to the call. And these aren't just, you know, poetic or references or, uh, or 
maybe references that you've heard before, but but somehow lack an application. No, these things, these things are also alive in us in some ways. In each of us, or let me say it this way, inside of you, do you ever sense the way that you are like Peter, the way that you are like Judas, the way that you are like that rich young man? Oh, and, and not just the not just the sad side, right? Not just the the tragic side, but also the, the beautiful side, the glorious side, the ways that you are like the Blessed Mother and saying yes, like Abraham saying ready, like Moses saying, uh, I, I will go, I, I, will, I will lead your people. And, and so there are the beautiful examples from the scriptures and, oh yes, from our tradition as well, that should give us a, a bit of a bit of solace and a bit of determination, solace to say that the Lord has saved worse sinners than me. He understands my sin, and yet he doesn't give up on me. But also determination to say, I want to be one of those saints that goes all in. I want to be one of those saints that that doesn't settle for less. Okay, so all of those like religious language-based reflections draw themselves out in, in the concretization of daily life. What do I mean by that? Well, here's where the stories come in. So if you listen to yesterday's program, one of the activities that's happening right now among several of the currents is we are doing the 33 Days to Morning Glory uh, uh, consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And so it's a book by Father Michael Gately. It was quite popular um, in the past 10 years. He um, followed up and, and um, also uh, wrote one connected to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And uh, this 33 Days to Morning Glory is has it um, day-to-day reflections on it. And so yesterday we did day one. And so today, oh, sorry, yesterday, on Monday we did day one. I'm, I'm recording this on Tuesday night. So on, on Tuesday we did, we are doing day two. And um, day one, um, it was it was very beautiful. Um, it was very powerful, but it was preceded by something that was very sad. <laughs> so solace and determination were both part of my day one of this journey to consecration. So it's 33 days of praying certain prayers and, and reading certain reflections to prepare for the act of consecration on the Feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel on July 16th. So leading up to day one, really for over a week beforehand, I had put a target on June 13th, on day one. And the target was the amount of fasting and penance I was going to undertake over the course of the 33 days. In my mind, I was amazing. In my mind, I was like practically a saint. (laughs) I mean this. In my mind, I was doing a water fast, water and black coffee only for 33 days. That's right. I was spiritual Superman. And uh, my daughter, Mary Grace, who in, inspired and pro- uh, prompted this 33-day journey together, had just completed a three-day water fast, water and black coffee fast. And I thought, oh, and she had lost weight, and she had experienced this tremendous like awakening and all of these other really cool things. And I thought, oh, Jesus, he 
fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. I can do this, 33 days. Oh, and I'll lose an amazing amount of weight too. This is awesome. And so I started to prep myself. And preparation took two forms. The first was, okay, go strong on keto because then I'll make sure that carbs and sugars are out of my system. And so be more, uh, be more aware and be more cognizant of the way that I'm eating. So I'll eat less, right? So that was one part of my, uh, one, of, one part of the results of my, my amazing master plan, water fast for 33 days, let's go. The other part of my plan was what my flesh was telling me, which was, hey, you only got six days left before the 33 day water fast. Now's a good chance to eat some popcorn. <laughs> every night every night oh it's a great chance to you know just stay up later and have have a again a midnight snack while i waste time watching stupid videos of chess games and things like that and that was the battle that was the battle for six days Keto during the day, doing a good job, feeling proud, two thumbs up, let's go, getting ready for the 33 days of morning glory. And at night, the habit of collapse. I've never heard that phrase before. But the habitual collapse. And, and, and here's the crazy thing, wisdom. I prayed for wisdom at the beginning of this program because praying for wisdom was praying to gain insight from my experience, especially experiences that were painful, that were unsuccessful, where I suffered loss, where I was not victorious and could easily think myself really wicked smart. No, 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 no. This was knowing, knowing that the weak point was coming, knowing that the, the weak time of the evening was approaching, knowing that the habit of collapse was emerging right in front of me. I have distinct memories, at least two of the days, if not three, where I was like, okay, I'm approaching that hour. Now's the time. Recognize what's going to happen. Do not give in. Just go to bed. Do not give in. Just pray. Do not give in. Don't change your mind. You don't have to do this. And the reality of the flesh is that even as I'm speaking out loud the words, you don't have to do this. I'm taking the, the big cooking pan out, putting in the olive oil, and then pouring in the popcorn seeds that I'm going to pop on the, uh, on the stovetop as literally I'm saying to myself, just go to bed. Just don't do that. You are not going to feel good about yourself after eating this. And the craziest thing of all is that I wouldn't have been doing that had it not been for the 33 days of morning glory. The 33 days to morning glory. Okay, I, are you catching the dynamic of the disciple that's here? The amount of resistance the amount of spiritual attack, the amount of the fleshly 
counterpoint, the, the amount of the fleshly pushback increases as the intention, determination, and effort to move forward more fully towards God approaches. Are you tracking with me? What should we expect as we walk with a determination, with a plan and a purpose to move forward in our relationship with God, to get to a better place, a higher place, a healthier place, a holier place. We should expect increased resistance, a more ferocious reaction, and even a spiritual attack to come against us. And, and trust me, I'm not blaming spiritual attacks on the popcorn. I'm not, I'm not saying if I have popcorn, it's because the devil is inspiring me. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm saying that my brothers and sisters, you who are also calling yourselves disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, when you sense that there is a prompting, a, an inspiration, an invitation to go further, to go deeper, to go uh, for a higher plane of spiritual maturity, of spiritual discipline, you should expect resistance from the inside. The flesh that is dormant within you, that is just permitted to allow for a mediocre life of faith, that fleshly dimension to our spiritual lives will come out swinging, will battle against a path that involves dying to self, being humble, turning to the Lord with more fervor, and striving to follow him and honor him more completely. You, you do that and you are signing up for a storm of fleshly resistance. Expect it. Expect it. Don't be surprised. Don't be caught off guard. It's going to happen. It's it's the and it, it, it's not like this is not in the scriptures. Like look at one of the supreme moments where you hear Jesus himself talk about the battle of the flesh and the spirit. When does he say it? In the Garden of Gethsemane. Look at that moment after celebrating the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, where the apostles have just received Jesus Christ as Eucharistic Lord within them. And what happens? They are personally invited to, to come into nearness with him, personally invited to stay awake and pray with him in his time of need. I need you to stay awake and pray. And what do they do? Fall asleep three times, fall asleep three times, fall asleep. And what does Jesus say? The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. If it's true in them, oh boy, it's true in us too. Welcome back to Sound Insight. It's great to be with you today. So I'm revealing to you in, in really a humble form, a dynamic that is truly part of our life of faith that we should not be surprised at. And sadly, even though we hear it, even though we've heard it reflected on and we've been taught about it, we read about it, like, you know where this also shows up? In the Screwtape Letters. If you've ever read the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, 
one of the themes in one of the letters is that the mediocre Christian who is not practicing faith with any sort of fervor, deep devotion, or a zeal to go deeper in living out their call to be holy and fulfill their mission, leave them alone. Don't bother them. But the alarm bells of hell go off when a soul is making a decision and a determined effort to strip himself of uh, godless ways and uh, unholy friends and move towards Christ with authentic devotion and real love. It's only then that the fierceness of the tax erupts. Let them stay in their apathy, their comfortable apathy, rather than uh, rather than pressing in on them and trying to push them into further darkness. Leave them in their lazy apathy. Whatever the case, though, don't don't allow them to move into a greater place of strength, a greater place of, of battling against the flesh. The flesh battles back. So um, I, I share that with you not as somebody who is victorious because I said to you that my intention was, my vision and my plan was, to come into the 33 days of morning glory to only drink water and have dark coffee, to have black coffee. That's what I would I would be doing in my fasting. Well, let's see, I'm two days in, and here's the funny thing. Today, I made it. This is Tuesday. Um, I had just water and black coffee all morning, and most of the afternoon until about 3.30. And then I got home and I said, okay, well, let me just have a little salad. It's all I need. And of sure, sure, right next to that little bit of salad, there was some pieces of salami. Well, if, how can I possibly have a little bit of salad without the salami? And then as I was throwing my, putting my bowl away, Carrie drew attention to the fact that there were a couple of chocolate chip brownies sitting there (laughs) that were left over by one of my daughters and was just going to be thrown away. Well, I couldn't let that go to waste. It'd be a sin to waste it. Oh, I'm so weak. So weak. Just gave in. Just, just gave in. And unfortunately, that's not even the only, the damage of today because I'm looking, I'm right now looking at a bowl. I won't even tell you. Sad. There were some chocolate chips in that bowl and peanut butter because is that keto? I guess in some weird world. No, not even in a weird world is that keto. So here, here I am. Here I am in that condition where if I had not chosen to engage in this spiritual uh, activity, I would not have revealed to my, uh, been revealed to myself such spiritual mediocrity and the battle of the fr- flesh that is still very alive in me. And thus, what? I guess the gift is humility. And growing in humility is is always a a beautiful gift. I just wasn't so painful. Okay, so 
I share that with you. Please, please, please um, learn from my experience. I think you'll get it if you've had the same thing. So don't be surprised by it. Don't be discouraged by it, but get up in battle. Get up and beg, beg, beg the Lord. Beg the Lord. It's something that I was sharing with you know, someone earlier today in a conversation about um, one of the ways in which living as a married man um, introduces into the, the life of that man particular challenges that most priests just never face. Um, and I, I'm sharing this because I, I spent five years in the seminary. Many of my closest friends are priests, now ordained 30 years, uh, 30, 31, 32 years um, when they were ordained and walking together, me 27 years married, them 32 years as priests, just talking about our journeys together. And it's so fascinating when we share about some of the crosses and the burdens and they've never had to worry about a rent payment. They've never had to worry about how am I going to pay my bills? They've never had to, um, they've never had to actually stay up at night in with a sense of um, feeling overwhelmed and traumatized because one of their teens is out of communication with them and doing dangerous things that are unholy and you don't know where they are and what's happening to them. And it's overwhelming to those in your household and how am I going to go forward and figure this out together with my spouse? It, they, it's, it's so interesting that um, one of the talks that we would hear in the seminary from, I still remember it, from, um, uh, from the spiritual director that I had in Rome. He wrote a, a book on, uh, he was a Jesuit, interestingly, but he wrote an amazing book on diocesan priestly spirituality, the priestly spirituality of the diocesan priesthood. <laughs> a Jesuit wrote the book, but incredibly insightful. And one of the, the talks he gave us was celibacy, and then it was full colon, um, comfortable bachelordom or evangelical simplicity, celibacy. Was it comfortable bachelordom or evangelical simplicity? And so there was, uh, so evangelical simplicity means what? It means, is your celibacy a way of making your life simple, making it condensed down into one, the one gift of oneself in its totality of one's own affectionate, uh, the life of, uh, uh, of its affective dimension of one's own self to the Lord and the intimacy of that and allowing that to drive one into greater service of God's people by manifesting the gospel in how you live your life. So, that celibacy calls forth a life of real poverty, real uh, stripped down simplicity, a life that would involve um, uh, a life of service, that celibacy, even, even celibacy is at the service of the Lord and of God's people to say, I have that radical availability to love and to give and to even do penance and to, to strip down oneself from situations of comfort. So that was the one ideal that was presented, or was it comfortable bachelordom? 
which was, ah, I'm freed from the burdens and demands of the relationships that are involved in being a husband and father. And at the end of my day, I get to have dinner and then relax, watch a show, and peacefully go to bed in a comfortable bed and not have to worry about stuff. Oh, and yeah, there'll be those occasions where I'm called to the hospital to anoint the sick. Uh, that will be a, a, you know, a potential burden um, and make life um, busy. But it, it's a life where there is a radical sense of, in many measures, control and comfort. And, um, and I just remember like, you know, we talk about that. We talk about like, how are you living your celibate life? And is it as a sacrificial offering of one's life to the Lord in intimacy and at the service of God's people in availability? Um, or was it, um, or the temptations were, oh no, no father, just, just take it easy. Just, just relax. And, and for them to hear the stories about me and Carrie and raising all the kiddos and the constant being on. And it's so funny because it's like, yeah, your life is not your own. <laughs> you don't, it, well, if you want to choose a comfortable life as a husband and father of a bunch of kiddos, you basically have to wall yourself off from your kiddos. Um, but if you're going to open yourself in loving service to your kiddos and raising them and leading, providing, and protecting them, you have opened yourself to a tremendous amount of sacrifice, self-giving, etc. So, I don't know, I bring that up just to say that when it comes to the spiritual battles that we face, you know, don't be surprised that it's going to reveal your own poverty of spirit your own incapacity, your own, let's use again the word that I tend to have, I gravitate to in these circumstances and it's desperation, the radical desperation in front of our own spiritual poverty. Lord, I cannot believe that I'm so spiritually weak. Lord, please, I beg you, I'm desperate to have you bring me from a place of incapacity with regards to winning this battle against the flesh to spiritual empowerment. Come Holy Spirit, may the fire of your love cleanse me of such fleshly attachments and grant me the spiritual power to live a courageous life. And it's even so silly. I just consider it... Uh, I don't know. It's so, it's kind of silly to talk about the battle against the chocolate chip brownies and the peanut butter as, you know, spiritual, you know, taking courage. <laughs> Just like, are you kidding me? This is, this is what you're worried about in life. Cut it out. So, um, so I, I share that with you to say, when you make a decision to pursue the Lord, with greater sense of fervor, with greater sense of commitment, and the flesh emerges in your life, you have a choice. The comfortable bachelordom, let's call it the, the comfortable apathy of saying, nah, I tried. 
I failed. Or the evangelical simplicity that comes from, Lord, I have been exposed for my spiritual mediocrity and I cry out for mercy and for strength. Please, O oh God, forgive me for my littleness and increase within me a courageous spirit to overcome the flesh within and to live for you without. Lord, I want to be living a life that honors you at every moment, in every decision, but I cannot do it without you. Lord, I can't do it without you. So please help me. Um, husbands and fathers, if you'd learned that prayer, it, it would change your life. It will, it will change your life. And I, I'm guessing there are a number of, well, wives and mothers too. Frankly, any disciple of Jesus that wants to grow in faith, learn that prayer, pray that prayer, live that prayer, and you will be on the path to spiritual growth. Because it's it's that it's that whole flow of 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 the um, the moments of discipleship, the dynamic of discipleship, right? You get the call, you experience the desperation, the spiritual poverty, and then you get empowered. That's that's the way it works. You receive the call, the the gift that you've been given, the call that you've been given. Then you experience the incapacity, the ex, the actual spiritual desperation, and then from there you get led into the empowerment. Right? So you're created, you experience the cross and the death to self, and then you rise to new life and you receive the gift of the Spirit to sanctify you. Right? So that's the, that's the dynamic. Those are the three moments of life as a disciple. And I'm drawing attention today to that middle moment that gets overlooked. It's the one that we want to overlook. It's the one that we really don't care to experience why would we want to? It, it's so much more pleasant to live in the call and in the empowerment. Who wants to live in the midst of the poverty? But it's there where the purification happens. It's there where the transformation happens. It's there where uh, the Lord is going to break through the hardness of our hearts, the paucity and the, and the minimalistic way that we approach our own service to God. One of the things I've just discovered in, in working with men now since 1989, that's a lot of years, that's 33 years, is that um, we get swindled out of deeper prayer lives. Okay, did you hear that? We get swindled out of deeper prayer lives. When I say swindled, it's not that we um, are like deceived or tricked into um, like being told, lied uh, about the importance of prayer. No, we're told if you're around Catholic Church or listen to any talks on the internet uh, about faith and growing in faith, you're going to hear about the importance of prayer. But when we get swindled out of it, it's that we make decisions freely to not pray instead of praying. And we give it the greatest excuse, which is call them too busy. And we were swindled because we freely give up what is good and in return get back what is worthless and even harmful. I'll pick up on this in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. 
Uh, just before the break, I made a strong statement, and that was that too many men, but also women, were swindled out of spiritual growth because we don't pray. We just don't pray. We don't pray well. We don't pray sufficiently. We don't make prayer time an urgent priority. We don't make it an important commitment. And we don't because we're simply swindled out of it. We freely choose to give time instead to going to the gym, working, being active with our kids, being very active at work. All of these things simply crowd out time for God in prayer. I'm not sure I have met I'm trying to think of a man, any man, this is crazy, just saying it out loud. I don't think I've ever met a husband and father, someone who's a husband and father, who I said to myself, man, that guy is praying way too much. He's giving way too much of his time over to God in prayer. I I don't think I've ever, I've never said that. Um, and, and, you know, it's like, is there such a thing? Yeah, of course, of course there's such a thing. And please don't, it, this isn't about trying to be clever and say, well, you know, for the person who is prayerful, everything is prayer. All my work is given to God. It's dedicated to God. So it's prayer and the practice of the presence of God. I, um, I make my work, my prayer and it's fulfilling Paul's command. Pray always. And so everything I do, I do, I offer it to the Lord and therefore I'm praying. All right, I'm going to hit the buzzer. Okay, the buzzer is, no, that's, that's, that's a misinterpretation and application of scripture and our tradition. Uh, a cutesy way I, I've liked, I like to draw attention to in the catechism is that essentially it says in the battle of prayer in that section, um, you will never pray always unless you pray sometimes. <laughs> I just love that phrase. You'll never pray always, which is the scriptural command, pray always. You'll never pray always unless you pray sometimes. Because praying always is a way of referring to living your life in the awareness of God's presence. Okay, you're aware of God's presence at every moment of your day. And you're doing what you're doing in the light of God's presence, with that awareness that he is with you and that you're honoring him with every breath you take, every thought you think, every word you say, you're honoring him. You're praying always. And the only people who can do that, the only people who can do that are people who are taking time away from the other activities, taking them away from the other activities and they are spending solid, massive uh, commitments of time over time to build a habit of God's presence, a, a good, solid chunks of time during the day. Morning offering in the morning, a good chunk of morning prayer time, probably an hour probably also going to mass, probably close to daily, 
uh, has other devotions interspersed, like maybe praying a rosary during the course of the drive to work, maybe doing an Angelus at midday, reading scripture during a break, stopping and making a visit to the Blessed Sacrament, coming home and reading scripture, incorporating daily prayer, doing an examination of conscience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of those elements of our spiritual life, you do those things as anchors, as anchors to allow you to climb higher. Oh yeah, then then the rest of your day will also be marked by God's presence. It'll be prayerful. It'll be done as a way of praying always. But the idea that, you know, when I'm running on my treadmill in the morning, I'll, I'll say a rosary or I'll listen to a talk. And then maybe as I'm driving, I'll, I'll pray a rosary. All of a sudden, prayer is what's accompanying some other activity. Rather than saying, I'm stopping what I'm doing, and I'm going to go into God's word. And I'm going to read God's word. And I'm going to ask the Lord to speak to me. I'm going to give the Lord time to work on me. I'm going to reflect on it. Maybe you write, jot, jot it down. I'm going to express some spiritual um, intention for the day. And I'm going to come back to that over the course of the day. And I'll sit quietly and allow the Lord, uh, give the Lord permission to work on me in, internally and spiritually in, in, on ways that I'm not even aware of. Right, That kind of rigorous work, that kind of serious effort in prayer, it's just not happening enough. It's just not happening enough in part because guys are just not taught it regularly enough. We're just not taught how to pray well like that and not challenged to pray seriously like that very often. As a result, we are just not spiritually very radiant. We, our words don't carry lots of authority. And God is left, God's glory is just not as powerfully at work in and through our lives and in our home. That's the great sadness. And it's utterly fixable. It is. By God's grace, it's utterly fixable. And it just begins with that willingness to make a more serious commitment a more serious effort not to settle for less. I, I'm sharing all this stuff with you out loud, knowing how, how much I've failed in these first two days of my consecration walk. And the funny thing is, is I wouldn't have failed these two days if I had not made the commitment to undertake this 33 days to morning glory. So tune in tomorrow and you'll get a, a report, an update on how the journey continues because now that I've said it all out loud, it's kind of like, all right, Tom, rubber meets the road, man. Don't just walk the, don't just talk the talk. You got to walk the walk. Got to up your game. Things get exposed. Things get exposed. And I got to tell you, it, I want to give you an example of how something got exposed that made me reflect. Kerry noticed it as well. On uh, on Saturday at the Oaks, my daughter Ariana graduated uh, from high school. And one of the customs, and it's a, it's a beautiful custom, one of the customs at the Oaks is that they have the father of the graduate hand to his or her 
son or daughter graduating their diploma. And so when Ariana's name was called, she, you know, came out from the students and I came out from the, the, where the people were sitting, came up onto the stage and the headmaster handed me her diploma. We met at the center stage, Ariana and I, and we went through this practice and the practice was that I hand her the diploma. I, I then greet her warmly and then we turn and we get a photo together. And um, we did that. We went through the practice. He had the diploma, turn, uh, give her a hug, and turn, get a picture taken. And what happened during the, uh, the actual graduation ceremony is that there were the like 20 graduates or 21, and what got exposed were 21 relationships. <laughs> Not perfectly. It's not like a some a crystal ball, some special source of insight, but there was a, a degree of exposure between uh, of what the relationship was like between the father and the son, or the father and the daughter, and it was shown in the the simple manner in which the father and the son or the daughter greeted themselves at center stage, and was it with a warm hug? Was it with this freedom to just give this full, like loving embrace? I'm so proud of you. Was it a bit more awkward and handshaking, formal, and now let's turn and smile as we get this picture and, and we're both uncomfortable up here on stage? Uh, there Was there a bit of a, hey, let's do something that is expressive of our personalities and we'll do this sort of special little fist bump uh, set of activities and then bump hips uh, and, you know, just sort of act together up there. And a couple of the parents did that. And, and for me, it was, it was, it was a bit exposing of the way in which I would want to have a warmer um, relationship with my kiddos. And it was only shown through the free expressions of affection that were shown by some of the other fathers with their daughters. And there was a sense of saying, wow, I didn't see that or feel that in terms of how I greeted my daughter. There was an exposure there, like it or not. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. I'm sharing about the so anecdotes from these recent days that have to do with our lives as disciples and how the way that we choose to follow Christ, the way that we say yes to the Lord's inspirations when he draws us to a deeper walk with him, a fuller walk with him, um, is going to reveal things. It's going to expose things both within us, and I shared in the first part of the program about the exposure of the way in which the flesh that fleshly resistance to the call of God will often just lay dormant until we make a serious effort to follow him more fully. And then what gets exposed is the way in which, wow, we have this battle going on inside us where the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak and makes it really hard and makes it really hard to follow him. And then the way in which um, there's also the exposure of the implications of that 
in the rest of our lives. So talking then about the way that we as men, but I'm not going to leave women on the sidelines here. We as husbands, and I'm not going to leave wives, mothers, and on the sidelines either. We just don't pray enough. Just don't give a serious effort to prayer. And it shows up, it, there's an exposure there in the way in which we manifest faith, hope, and love. We manifest the goodness of God and the glory of God in our lives. And that has overflowing impacts that sometimes also literally take center stage. I talked about the way in which my relationship with my daughter, Ariana, which is partly based on temperaments and personalities and personal history, family history, uh, the way that we're a bit more formal and a little bit more awkward when it comes to public displays of affection, that other families, husbands and uh, or dads and daughters were, were much more warm and, and free to um, lovingly embrace. And, um, and it was, there was a sort of sadness there. There was a longing there to say, I want more. I long for something freer and fuller in terms of being able to express love and affection in my own home. So there is that, there is that exposure that happens, whether you like it or not, whether you realize it or not. When we talk about the Lord, when we talk about our life's faith, when we talk about what we're doing to raise our kids in faith, there's a radiance of the Lord to a greater or lesser degree. There is a sense of authenticity to the work of the Spirit. There is that sense of uh, holiness, holy weightiness that manifests itself or not when we are on stage with living our faith. I also saw this on Monday night when we did the first night of our uh, 33 Days for Morning Glory. It was John Mark, it was Ariana, it was uh, Mary Catherine and me that were praying it at that point. Carrie had done it earlier by herself. And so uh, the four of us were praying the prayer and um, we did the day one reflection. And what we've chosen to do is to pray every day of the 33 days the uh, consecration prayer that Pope Francis prayed um, uh, over a month ago um, to, uh, to, um, to consecrate the world to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And, um, and so it was, it was really so interesting to watch the dynamic among the four of us when after we read the reflection, we did the prayer of consecration, and then I had them all pray their own prayer. Just Why don't you just now say your own prayer out loud related to um, this path we're taking towards consecration. And it was beautiful. It was what was exposed in that moment of our prayer time with some beautiful prayers, very authentic, that came out of my kiddos. You know, my 19-year-old, soon-to-be 18-year-old, and my 16-year-old. And it, it, was, it, was, it left me in a sense of, I don't know, really holy awe, like, wow, Lord, you just surprised me. You surprised me in how these three 
just manifested their relationship with you and how they just prayed. And what they prayed for was very humble, was authentic, was sincere, and it was it was a very heartfelt longing to love the Lord and serve the Lord more fully and more perfectly. And uh, heartfelt petitions for themselves and intercessory prayers for others. That was it was like wow, this is day one. Man, thank you, Lord. So here, here's the here's the funny thing of it all. It's like, wow, God, I came into today like terribly prepared, terribly prepared. And here I am watching a work of grace. This wasn't a work of uh, something that I merited from for my kids it wasn't something that uh, I like deserve to see as sort of a answered prayer it was it was for me a, um, a kind of a hilar- a moment of hilarity a moment of not taking myself too seriously a moment of of really again the Lord saying you know I'm God I'm Lord I'm Savior, I'm the Good Shepherd, and I will shepherd your kids into my kingdom. I will shepherd your children for my glory. And for me, that was just, it was very, it was it was beautiful. And if I, it's like, okay, just hear this, hear this. That was the outcome. Like what I what I just shared with you at the very end of this program is the outcome at the end of that first day of this 33 days to morning glory. When I, and who would have thought that would have been the outcome <laughs> with all that I, I've shared with you about the week leading up to it, with the day that I had, with the failures, the stumbling, the weakness, the poverty, the desperation, the, did I say failures? The, the, the humiliation of it all. And then to have that be the outcome. Wow, God, who are you? God, who are you? You are just amazing. Last story. God is doing something amazing. Really, he, he is. I um, had lunch today, but it was just coffee. I actually chose to say, hey, can we not have lunch? And I actually didn't even have coffee. Let's <laughs> just get together and visit um, with a fellow who moved to northern Idaho. And it was in just another one of these powerful, the Holy Spirit's leading us, and I don't even know what that meant. And here we are, and I feel like Jesus wants us to do something, and I'm not even sure what that is. But I'm ready to go. Come on, Lord, lead me. Let's do something amazing right? Um, and this is a Catholic guy. This is a Catholic guy, and, and it's not like this guy has like a rich theological background. He just felt this prompting, and with his wife, they discerned and said, let's do this, and they're here. And it's, it's like there are all kinds of people like that. 
that are just have shown up and they're around and they want to do something for God. And I love it because when you can be around people who are saying with their lives, I'm all in, I put it all out there and Lord, whatever you want, I say yes in advance. Come on, Lord, make it so, make it happen. There's something just very powerful about that. There's something very beautiful about that. And I think that that is, um, it's, it's an encouragement because when we can get together, guess what we can do? We can support each other, encourage each other, and hold each other accountable. I think that I would do better. He actually mentioned that he had done Exodus 90 twice. And for me, one of the biggest like points of strength of Exodus 90 uh, is, is the fact that it's a group of guys doing something together. It's, it's, the, it's the, the fact of this like band of brothers quality this idea that says we are going to battle together. That's where the, the real power is. And so I, I know that God is up to something and I'm excited. I, I want to be part of it. I, I want to be part of what God is doing. I haven't lived my life this long at the service of the Lord and his church to somehow say I want to stumble on the last lap around the track. Uh, maybe I'm not that old, but I'm old enough where my useful life is is useful years are are fading <laughs> i don't have the energy of 35 years ago or 25 years ago or 15 years ago and i want to play the part that is mine to play while i still can don't want to finish uh on a rocking chair i want to finish all poured out